Hello, Longview Point. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. I'm excited to be with you again tonight as we finish up our series on the essentials. I have so enjoyed getting to spend this time with you over the past couple of months and recording these sermons for you. I hope that you have found them beneficial for your walk with the Lord. And I appreciate the encouragement that some of you have given me as you've told me about how you've been watching them. And I look forward to next week as we are getting back to our regular Wednesday night schedule. Pastor Wade will have his time with the adults in the lobby. I'll be here with the students. We'll have children, preschool, everything going on. The buzz of campus will be back. And we look forward to seeing what God is going to do as we enter back into that new time. Our text today is Acts chapter 16. We'll start in verse 25, but it's important to get context of what is going on here. Uh, Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison, and, and for some reason this text keeps coming back to me as I've been reading in my time alone with the Lord, as we looked at Philippians for our connect groups. We come back to what is going on here in Acts chapter 16. And, and here they, Paul and Silas have been thrown into prison because they have cast out a demon from a slave girl and has cost her owners the money that they were making off of her. And, and so they are in jail. And, and I'm just, it's an incredible story of how they respond to trials and tribulations. But it's an even better story about how God brings salvation to the most unlikely of places. So hopefully you are there. We're in Acts chapter 16. We'll start in verse 25. And this is what the word of the Lord says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You see, a jailer, just to give you some context on that, the jailer, if, if he lost anyone, any of his prisoners that he was responsible for, he was to get the same punishment of those prisoners. So there were prisoners here with Paul and Silas who apparently were under the death penalty. And that was the, the, the jailer's response when he thought that everybody had escaped, he was going to take his own life. But in verse 28, this is what he said, what Paul says. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, listen to this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour uh, of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. So our essential truth tonight is that we are saved by grace through faith. I know Pastor Wade hit on that a good bit this past Sunday, but it's so important that we just want to continue to drive that home. He even encouraged us to be constantly mindful of it throughout this week. And so I hope that this helps you to keep this at the forefront of your mind, the grace that we receive and the, the response that we have that is faith. I love the question there. When the jailer comes into the, the prison area there, he brings them out and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be 
saved? Isn't that an incredible, powerful question? Just a realization of his need for salvation there. Questions can be impactful on our lives, can't they? I think about asking little kids, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and you just see those wills already starting to churn as they're trying to think about what it is that they would love to be as they get older. Or the question that we ask all of our high school seniors, where do you want to go to school? Where are you going to spend the next few years of your life? Hopefully you've never been asked, where were you at 7 p.m. the night in question? by a police officer with an interrogation. Or maybe the most famous question that often gets celebrated is, will you marry me? And the impact that that can have on the rest of your life. But this question right here in Acts chapter 16 is the most essential, important question that we cannot ignore as Christians because we need to know that for our own sakes and for the sake of people that we come in contact with. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That is the question of the jailer. You don't have to look very far to see how people have gotten this question wrong. Uh, As you look back at Acts chapter 15, just one page over, very beginning of it there, 15 verse 1, it says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see, there was controversy here, a legalism of having to first become Jewish and then become Christian. There was these problems that were coming in of having to keep the law perfectly in order to be saved. But I'm so glad that that's the wrong answer. I'm so glad. It's almost like the the memes on, on social media where they're like, hey, here's a picture. Tell us all the wrong answers. That is the wrong answer. As you look at the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, his longest teaching from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, you realize that if the expectation for us is to meet God's perfect obedience, we're going to fall short. It's not possible to, to trust in our own righteousness. It's not possible to achieve perfect holiness. So we are so glad that that's the wrong answer. They come to that conclusion as you read through through Acts chapter 15, continuing on. You see in verse 6 through 11, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of God of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You see, when we trust in that legalism, when we think that we can reach that perfect obedience, we realize that it is a yoke that is too heavy, that, that is the 
thing that they put on the ox that they had to carry. It's too heavy for us to bear that. We cannot live up to it. And so we need the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's where he comes to the conclusion in verse 11 of chapter 15. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You know, in, in the church, we have so many words that we throw around so often that I think we can miss the meaning of it. Or we may be so familiar with it that we, we don't just stop and pause for a second about the magnitude of that word. The, the word that I want to look at first is grace. If we're to be saved by grace through faith, then what does it mean to have God's grace in our life? Grace is God's gift to the sinner who trusts in Him. But here's the important part. We don't deserve it. And we also can't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve separation from God. We deserve e eternal judgment. But yet God in His amazing grace, in His marvelous grace, His astounding grace pours out this gift to us that we can have eternal life with him. And it's through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is how we can have his grace. He's showing us constantly his kindness and his mercy. One of the things you have to realize about grace, and I've said it, but I want to emphasize it. It is a gift, not a paycheck. You know, if we were to have a job, if we were to work hard at that job and manual labor, whatever it may be, at the end of that, we have an expectation that we have earned a check. We have earned our keep, the money that we should get to, in response to what we have done. But grace, grace is a gift where it's not a response to what we've done. It's just out of the generosity of the giver where God, our Heavenly Father, has given kindness and mercy in the place of, of wrath and judgment. As I think about God's grace, I think about the old song, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. It humbles us because we realize that we don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it, but God in His goodness has given us grace. And so I just hope that as we talk about that, even at this moment, maybe you pause this video, just take a moment and just thank God for the grace that He has shown you. That He sent His Son so that you can have a relationship with Him. So just take a second, just pause and praise him for his grace. Now, he doesn't just leave it there. As we continue to talk about grace, even the, the, the definition of grace that I gave you, it is for the sinner who trusts in him. As we look back at Acts chapter 16, because I want to look at the story of the Philippian jailer again, they tell him, they give him the response there. Paul and Silas, they respond to him when he asks the question that we're talking about today. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord 
Jesus. You see, the word believe there is the same word that we often see throughout the New Testament uh, that's also for trust, also for faith. Those words throughout the entire Bible show up about 130 times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to trust? What does it mean to have this faith that we're talking about? It's not just knowing the facts about who Jesus is. You could grow up in the church. You could know the Bible forwards and backwards. Tell me all 66 books in order. You can tell me tons of stories that you've heard from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And you can know everything there is to know from Matthew to John. But if all you have is this mental knowledge of, of those things, then you not. it doesn't mean that you have faith. You're still lacking in that. I think about the, the passage in James that talks about the demons believe and even shudder. So there's a chance to, that you can know so much, but not have faith. So I want to make sure that we understand exactly what faith is. We've understood grace, that it's God's gift to the sinner that is undeserved and that we could never earn it. But faith, faith is this. Faith is seeing Christ as the gracious and powerful Savior He is and turning to Him. It is the seeing Christ as the gracious and powerful Savior He is and turning to Him. To Christ, turning to Him. It's trusting in His life that the things that we've read is true and that He has conquered the grave and that He has risen again, that His work on the cross is sufficient for us. That we are able to receive that gift of grace. So many times we, we almost put this dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to what Christ, that they knew, they trusted that, that God was going to fulfill what he had spoken. And so they trusted going forward. We get to look back and trust what he has already done, how he has already moved throughout the, the salvation throughout history. And we can trust that Christ is the sacrifice for our sins, the perfect sacrifice, sacrificial lamb that we need in order to experience a relationship with a holy and mighty God. Can I tell you, faith is only as good as the object that you put your faith in. Faith is only as good as the object that you put your faith in. I can have all the faith in the world that that here in the sanctuary I can jump from the free throw line and slam dunk on the 10 foot goal right here to the left of me. I can have faith. I can trust. I can believe. But I have to tell you, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how much faith and trust I have in myself. I can't make that happen. But that's the way it is when we put our trust and our faith in our own self-righteousness, isn't it? It doesn't matter how much we trust in it, how much we have faith in it. You're still going to fall so far short. And so we have to have our trust and our faith in the object that is worthy of it. And the only object that is worthy of our faith that can be true all the time is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. 
He is the one who paid the price. He is the one who can give us his righteousness because he is the only one who is righteous. And so we have to realize that our salvation is not dependent on us, but it is in his power. When we put our trust in him, we can trust that he's going to hold us fast to the very end. That even when we're faithless, he is faithful, that he is trustworthy. And that we can put our faith and our trust and our belief in him and his work. Oh, should well up praises within us that it's not dependent on our goodness. It's not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on anything that we can bring. But once again, it's to the cross that we cling. As we look at faith, there's another side to that coin. And we're, we're almost wrapped up here. But faith is joined with repentance. Faith is joined with repentance. Repentance is seeing sin for the deceitful and deadly thing it is and churning from it. So think through this with me. As we talked about faith, it is churning to Christ. So we're, we're churning this way. But to churn to Christ, we have to churn from something else. If I'm walking out the door and I realize that I forgot my keys in the kitchen, uh, then I have to turn from going outside and go back inside in order to go back to get my keys. Well, it's in a spiritual sense, we are turning from the sin in our life, repenting of it, leaving it there and turning 180 degrees and turning to Christ. So when we put our faith in Christ, yes, we believe and we will be saved, but we submit to his lordship. If we've trusted him and asked him to clean us of that sin, then we don't want to continue to live in that sin, continue to face that direction, continue to go that direction. No, we want to be obedient. Flip over to John chapter 3, uh, verses, verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you see what the opposites are? The opposite is, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but it's the one who does not obey that does not see life. And so our faith is coupled with repentance. It is coupled to where our life looks different. That's not the object of our faith, but it is the result of our faith. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, grace does not come to the deserving because there is no such person. And it does not discriminate. Rather, initially, it comes to us freely. But once it enters our lives, God's grace demands changes and it holds us accountable you see, as you have grace, if you experience God's grace, grace, get it out. As you experience God's grace and you respond in faith, then his grace transforms us. It changes us. One of the most difficult conversations I had, I remember going with another pastor one day to visit a man in an apartment. This man was probably in his 60s, had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And one of his co-workers asked us to come visit. 
just to, to check with where he was spiritually as, as his prognosis was not good. And so we sit with the man and have conversations with him about the gospel and about his testimony and about his life. And, and the man, he said, look, I walked an aisle when I was younger, when I was a young kid. And we asked him, he said, look, has that had any impact on your life since then? We're talking about 50 something years. And the man looked at us and, and told us directly that it had had no impact on his life whatsoever, but he was trusting in that one time that he walked the aisle. Let me tell you, if, if you have submitted to the Lord and you trust in him and have experienced his grace, then it's going to transform your life. It's going to leave an impact because you're submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. And so your life is going to look different. Doesn't mean you reach perfect perfection or anything like that. We all still struggle with sin, but yet it does mean it's a struggle and that it's followed with repentance and turning away from that sin to Christ. If you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never put your faith in Him, not just knowing about Him, but truly saying, look, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you are the one who could pay the price for my sin, and I trust you, and I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be the King of my life. I want you to rule my life. If you've never done that before, then I pray that today is the day of salvation for you. That if you don't know what that looks like, send us a Facebook message here. Comment on this link or, or give us a phone call here at the office. Send us an email, however you can get in touch with us, because we want to be able to share the good news of God's grace, the unmerited favor that he is pouring out on those who will receive that gift. So make sure that you don't leave that uncertain. But... If you do, if you have experienced the goodness of God's grace, if you have placed your trust in Him, I hope that tonight gives you an excitement and a burden to tell others about Him and just to praise Him, just to lift up and glorify His name because He's been so good, far beyond what we deserve. And so I hope that you know that it is His grace that He's poured out in our lives and that you will be encouraged in your faith as well. So that's my point tonight. It's only by grace through faith that we are saved, and so we need to submit our lives to the Lord. I have a few questions for you as you just get to walk through uh, this passage of Scripture. I love the story there in Acts chapter 16, but I want to allow you as a family to continue to discuss it. Question number one, how does someone become a Christian? Such an important question that we need to know. That's what he asked. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So how important is it for us to be able to share that good news, that gospel of what it means to be a Christian, how someone can become a Christian. Number two, share with others why you are confident in your salvation. I know it's not a, a question, but it's a good prompt to have a good conversation about how you can be confident in the work of Christ. 
And number three, as we talked about repentance being the other side of faith, is there a sin you need to repent of in your life? Hope you'll take time to lay that bear before the Lord and just admit again your need for Him. I've enjoyed getting to do these videos and share God's Word with you. And so I'd like to conclude our time together with prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your Word, for the glorious news of your amazing grace, that we bring nothing to the table but our sin and filthy rags, and yet you count us as righteous because of your goodness and your grace, the kindness and mercy that you show us. Lord, I pray for anyone watching this that does not know you, that they will have just an unsatiable desire to know you, to experience the love of Christ that we're talking about today. And Father, I pray for those of us who do know you that we will have such an urgency and a burden to tell those about the way to salvation. You are so good, and we praise you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.